This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System L-I-V-E Live. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. And we get to see each other, Scott. People can't see us yet. <laughs> you and I can. Uh, another Sound System episode in the middle of the playoffs. They're starting to heat up. Uh, how you feeling, my man? You know, Colin, I, I'm doing okay. But I got to say, being called a uh, dweeb by LeBron James for thinking that John Moran deserves MIP this season, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't the best ending to my night. But I, I'm doing good, all things considered. How are you doing? Uh, I'm, str- I'm struggling with the flu, but uh, I feel like Jordan in game uh, five. Uh, you're gonna have, you're probably going to have to carry me. You're going to have to be my Scotty here and carry me through this episode, but we'll get through it together. Just don't don't have any takes I'll have to debate you on because I just don't have the energy, Scott. I, I don't have the energy. I'm bringing all the takes today. And by the way, yeah, this is the time to get it in. By the way, though, I, I called you a dweeb a long time ago for having that take. <laughs> I don't know why LeBron James got you in your feels because I, I I called you and everyone else that thought John Morant should be an MIP, even candidate, a dweeb. Or, or I called you cowards, actually, I think it was. On yeah, you did. Look, Colin, no offense to you, but you're not arguably the greatest NBA player of all time. It's, it's just a little, it's a little bit different. But I'm not. But LeBron James and I are, uh, we have playoff games, the same amount of playoff games in our belt today, uh, right now, <laughs> uh, in this 2022 season. So I, at least I have that uh, to, to go along with uh, him in common. And we like, we like wine. So I'll share that with there you. There you go. Uh, on this episode, we are going to talk about awards and which awards have surprised us. Uh, we'll discuss two teams that uh, were eliminated in the postseason, Scott, um, but may have bright futures ahead of them. And uh, the potential suspension for Dylan Brooks after an ugly play in game two of the Warriors Grizzlies series. But we have to start with the good news of that series. And that is one John Moran, 47 points. Eight rebounds, eight assists, ties the series up at one apiece, going to Golden State on Saturday night. John Morant was spectacular in game two. He needed to be, uh, and, the, and the Grizzlies are right back in the series. They are. I mean, that was a huge win. That was kind of a must-win game for them. Um, going down 2-0 to the Warriors, going back to Golden State, would not have been a great situation for them. So a huge game. I mean, he carried that team uh, offensively, finishing with 47 points, eight assists, eight rebounds. Um, took 31 shots, but he made 15 of them. And the big thing was he hit five of his 12 three-point attempts. And I, I mean, we know what that means for him. It, it just opens up his game so much. And you could see, I, I think four of the five threes, you could see the Warriors were giving him space, wanting him to take that shot. Um, and, and that really paid off down the stretch when they had to press up on him a little bit. And he was just getting to the basket at will down the stretch of that game. Did he score, what, 15 straight points for the Grizzlies or unanswered points when no one else on that team scored? Um, really put the nail in the coffin to win that game. Uh, I mean, just athletically, he, he's incredible. He, he's one of the most fun players, maybe the most electrifying player to watch in the league today. He, he had a couple finishes in this game that my, my jaw just dropped. Um, that, that dunk, I think it was in the first half where he took off from the dotted line. It wasn't even like that big of a dunk, just effortless though. Like he, he just floats in the air. Um, he had a couple big layups. He had one kind of acrobatic layup around Draymond Green in the first half. Um, he had another one around Clay Thompson in the second half. Just just what he's able to do at that size is, is pretty incredible. Um, in saying that, I 
a lot of his drives down the stretch, I mean, he was going to his left, and it didn't seem like the Warriors were trying to force him in the opposite direction at all. And John Moran, it's pretty normal for a right-handed player to prefer to drive to his left, but he's talked about how he, you know, is more of a left-hand driver. Um, so I, I do wonder, kind of in Game 3 onwards, if they make more of that adjustment, especially now that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Gary Payton II, um, who, who's going to have a crucial role in this series, um, assuming he doesn't come back because of his defense on John Morant. Um, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if we see the Warriors kind of mix up their coverage with him a little bit, whether it's blitzing and trapping to try and make other players beat him. Because, um, I mean, through two games, it, it doesn't feel like they have any one one-on-one who can really slow him down. Yeah, it's going to be tough to slow him down without uh, Gary Payton the third, and we wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, his injury was, was gruesome uh, in that first quarter. Um, but as you said, it's going to be tough to slow him down without – uh, really someone that could check him one-on-one. Um, how do they do it? Um, I mean, there's a reason I'm not an NBA coach. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. As I said, like, you, I mean, you look at the box score, it's John Morant. The next highest scorer was Zaya Williams, um, who hit four threes. I, I do kind of wonder, again, do they force him more to his right, John Morant, that is, um, to try and just mix up the coverage on him a little bit? And do are they more aggressive about getting the ball out of his hands and, and forcing someone else to beat them? Um, you know, Desmond Bain had a, a quiet game two. Jaron Jack- Jackson Jr. was awesome in game one, but came back down to earth in game two. Dylan Brooks, um, I mean, he, he got thrown out of that game just under three minutes into it based on the foul um, and what happened, the, the, the injury that Gary Payton II has suffered. I would not be surprised if he suspended one right. game. Um, and, you know, I, I do think Dylan Brooks is a pretty important piece to this Grizzlies team. So, um, I, yeah, I, I do wonder if they kind of throw more bodies at John Moran, try and get the ball out of his hands um, and see if someone else can kind of beat them. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be tough to figure out a way to slow down John Moran. I will say this, though, Scott, after watching two games through the series, I know what series is tied at one. I do think the Grizzlies are in a little bit of trouble here um, hmm. based off of two things. One. I don't think that the Warriors have really had that game yet where in the, in the entire playoffs where they're just automatic from three-point range. And it feels like it's inevitable where Clay is going to get fire, catch fire, Steph's going to catch fire. We haven't had that outburst yet. Even even you know Poole might catch fire uh, from deep. And I feel like that's going to happen in one of the two games back in uh, Golden State. And then the other one is it, st- it stuck out to me in both games. The Warriors have been able to win the hustle points, so so to speak. So they've out-rebounded the Grizzlies in both games, and they've scored more points in the paint in both games. And when you have John Morant, who is you know still leading the playoffs, or up there uh, in terms of uh, points in the paint in the second round, at least, he's 19 per game in the two games uh, against the Warriors. Outside of him, the Grizzlies really don't have anyone inside that could score. Uh, so if the Warriors can figure out a way to keep Ja out of the paint, it's going to be tough for the Grizzlies to score points and to score enough points to stay in a game. And I just feel like the Warriors are, are, are finding ways to get inside and, and make make the game gritty and, and score in those gritty moments. And if they're going to lose those battles, if the, if the Grizzlies are going to lose those battles, it's going to be tough for them to put up enough points to sustain victory, especially on the road. So I do think that we have a potential. I, I honestly see this series going back to Memphis at a 3-1 deficit for the Grizzlies. Uh, just based off the first two games. I think the Warriors are in a, a perfect spot here. They, they, they got the split that they wanted, and going back home with the day's rest, um, you know, the, the, those old legs need rest. It gets, gets you Andre Iguodala back in the, in the lineup potentially. Um, it, it just feels like this could be 
3-1 series lead for the Warriors as we head back to Memphis for Game 5. I honestly wouldn't be all that surprised. And I mean, no no disrespect to the, the Grizzlies for that because they're a great team. Um, and you, you talked about how, you know, Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson haven't had that, you know, gone absolutely nuts game yet altogether. Um, but the, they do a good job against them. Um, and, that, and that's why I do think they'll miss Dylan Brooks potentially in game three if he's suspended because really he's their best um, Steph Curry defender. I mean, you just look up at the matchup data. He might be the best in the league right now. He, he might be. Uh, he's definitely up there. He's he's on the Mount Rushmore of Curry defenders in, yes. in the league today. But um, you, you just look up the matchup data. Curry is 0 for 7 against Dylan Brooks so far in that series. And that's, I mean, that's one game basically because he got thrown out so early in game two. And, you know, Dylan Brooks did a good job against him in the playing game last season. Um, really made life difficult for him. So, you know, Steph Curry can go off. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, that, that could change. I mean, he, you know, we've seen it so many times before. He can go for 35. He can score 12 straight points. And suddenly that's the game right there. Sure. Um, so that's definitely something to watch. But I, I think you made a really good point about the offensive rebounding because that was like one huge advantage that the Grizzlies had every time they stepped on the court this season. Like they just absolutely demolished teams of the offensive glass, get second chance opportunities. And really the, the Warriors were kind of a middle of the pack offensive rebounding team. So the fact that they are winning that battle um, that that's that's a huge thing for the Warriors and quite a big loss for the Grizzlies. All right, let's get to Dylan Brooks because we danced mm-hmm. around it a little bit, but let's get to it right now. He had the tough foul um, that he that was a flagrant too. I don't think there's any argument there. It didn't seem like he had much of an argument. Uh, it was ejected from game two early on in that one. And there's talk of him potentially being suspended. Uh, if it was up to you, Scott, would you have Dylan Brooks miss a game in this series? As in, if I'm I'm the one handing out the suspension, um, yeah. I mean, look, it was a hard foul, um, hit him in the head. I, I think that alone warrants, you know, a, fl- a look at a flagrant two foul. But also the fact that Gary Payton the second did, you know, fracture his elbow, um, and who knows if we see him again in this series or even the playoffs if the Warriors advance. Um, I mean, I mean, to me, that was a pretty clear flagrant two foul, and I think. For me, it's one of those things that if he's not suspended, I don't know what message that sends to the rest right. of the league. Um, and I don't know if that's just a matter of like, I don't know if you should play the injury and it should strictly be about the hit, which obviously led to the injury. But I think you know what I mean. Um, but but to me, yeah, I, I, I think I'd be more surprised if he's not suspended at this point. He's absolutely going to get suspended. He should. He should get suspended. How long is the question for me? I think one game is enough in a seven-game series. You know, two games might be overkill in a regular season scenario where you have 82 games. That might be a different suspension number. But one game should be enough. Dylan Brooks is not. I know he toes the line of, especially against opposing teams, I know he toes the line of whether he's dirty or physical. I think he's a physical player. I've known I've known Dylan for a long time. Uh, you know, I've seen him play since he was in high school um, and, and got to know him a little bit. He's not a dirty player, but he is a guy that is going to push the envelope as much as he can. Uh, but he doesn't do it with an intent to hurt. And last night wasn't an intent to hurt. It was just a play of, you know, he's a competitor. He's not going to let a layup happen uh, if he can help it. Uh, and, and it just went wrong that time. And you could, you could see immediately after it happened, he went right over to Gary Payton and was ushered away from, the, you know, Gary Payton uh, by the official and had to walk away. But he felt bad as soon as it happened. Uh, and he knew, um, you know, that, that he probably would be ejected in that game. And he should have been. And I do think he should sit down for one game. Um, so it, it, it is, uh, you know, a tough scenario for the Grizzlies, but that's that's basketball. And, you know, you uh, you make those type of reckless plays, uh, you know, sometimes you have to pay the price. So I do think Brooks should be suspended for at least one game in this scenario here. 
Yeah, I mean, he's always been a very physical player, physical defender, gets under guy's skin. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think he, he definitely deserves a suspension. Um, it, it will be interesting to see how the Grizzlies adjust in Game 3, assuming he is uh, suspended. I mean, Zaire Williams um, stepped up big for them offensively. In his absence, he knocked down four threes, and, and a few of them were pretty timely. Um, that was big. And also, Dylan Brooks has had some big games offensively for them. Um, it helps having another guy who is comfortable creating his own shot. But he also kind of gets in these zones where like he gets the ball and you know it's going to go up no matter what and i think you know having someone like zaya williams who has a very strict role on this team it's basically stand in the corner of the the wing and just take catch and shoot threes um that that can bring a little bit of uh balance to this team and, and defensively i think we, maybe we see more deanthony melton um in game three he actually defended seth pretty well i think he had a couple blocks on him in game two um a good defender I, I do feel like they might go down that route a little bit, but I, I, I still think they're going to miss him. Uh, again, offensively, having another guy who is comfortable creating his own shot, even though sometimes he does take some wild shots, um, it's going to be crazy going back to Golden State for Game 3. We know what that environment is like. So having a guy who isn't afraid of the moment definitely would help, but it, it's, it, it is going to be interesting. I, I do think it's a pretty big loss for the Grizzlies um, if he is suspended. So do I. All right. Um... There's three more series in uh, the second round of the NBA playoffs. I'm going to give you the floor, Scott. Take me where you find the most interesting storyline outside of the Warriors-Grizzlies. I will say I am fascinated by the Celtics and Bucks series. Um, I, I think Giannis struggled to score in game one, but off uh, passing-wise, he just carved up the Celtics and led them to a really impressive win without Chris Middleton. And then in game two, I mean, Jalen Brown was incredible in that first half on both ends of the court. Um, and Giannis, again, Al Horford has done a fantastic job on him and making life difficult for him as a scorer. So I, I am fascinated by that series. But I, I got to say, the series that I am most intrigued by is the Suns and the Mavericks because I, I love this Suns team. I love what they're about. I love their ability to dominate both ends of the court. Um, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are just surgical offensively. We saw in game one how important DeAndre Ayton is to them. Um, and, you know, Jason Kidd talked about going to this series, um, kept it, had a very blunt response when talking about the differences between the Suns' bigs um, and the Jazz and basically saying, like, this team will give the ball to their bigs when they're down low. And that makes them very different. And we saw that in game one. Um, DeAndre Ayton, I think, finished with like 25 points. Um, his ability to attack small defenders on switches. Um, roll to the basket, make himself a big target uh, is huge and brings a lot of balance to this team. But then on the other side, the Mavericks, I mean, we saw Jalen Brunson was incredible in that first round series against the Jazz. He struggled in game one. Uh, I think the Suns did a really good job defending him. Uh, it helps that they have more perimeter defenders than the Mavericks do. Sorry, that the Jazz do to throw at him. Um, and, and Luka, I, it sounds crazy to say that I think they did a good job on him considering he did well. He went off for like what, 45, 12 and eight or whatever it was. Right, right. But I, I really do feel like the competitive part of the game, I thought they were able to make life difficult for him, um, get under his skin a little bit. And, and he really kind of like tacked on his points at the end there when the Mavericks were making a little bit of a run, but it didn't, didn't feel to me like they were still going to win that game. So I, I'm curious, like, can he have another big game or the Sun's going to live with him going for... 35 plus the rest of the series if it means other guys aren't getting involved um i i, I just i i think this is a really uh, a really fun series and one that i hope kind of goes to seven six or seven games 
I got I got a hot not a hot take, but I got a take for you, Scott. I, I, this series isn't going to go long. Um, you know, I saw all I need to see in Game One from the Suns. The only way that I saw the Mavericks competing in this series was if they were able to slow the game down, and they just weren't able to do that in Game One. I mean, if they're going to have games where you know the score is going to be in the 120, 115 range, forget about it. The, the, I don't think the Mavericks are going to be able to play at that pace uh, for an extended period of time, and then also. To have Luca go through all of the stress that he goes through offensively for multiple possessions deep into a series, we've seen it with him in the past. He does fatigue later in series, uh, and and I could see. I know he's missed the first two games of the playoffs this year, and, and maybe he's a little bit fresher there. Uh, but I I do see the Suns being able to wear them out uh, just by you know playing faster. You know, 121 points for a, a team as good defensively as the Mavericks are and what they're built on. Um, it didn't feel like the, the the Suns had any trouble scoring at all at any point in that game. And I know they're going to make adjustments. I know Aiton may not go as crazy as he did in game one, but I, I just feel like every plan B and C that the Suns have, it's, I don't think the Mavericks have anything for them. Uh, so I, I do see that series ending probably in five. Uh, the most intriguing series to me, um, is Boston and, and 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 the Celtics or sorry Boston and Milwaukee? Um, I, I thought Giannis played an incredible game in Game One. Game Two was still a really good game, uh, but his teammates did not show up with him. And Boston also responded well. And I think uh, a lot of credit has to go to Ime Udoka. Um, I don't think he got a lot of uh, buzz for Coach of the Year at all um, this season. Uh, or as much as he should have. There was a lot of great coaches that have made great strides in improving their teams. But he took a team in the middle of the season and got them to believe in their defense and turned them into a number one defensive team in the league. Uh, that's not easy to do. And they are winning off of defense. And that performance in game two was a great defensive performance. Now let's see if that travels on the road. Uh, we know that you know the, the role players are probably, Milwaukee's role players are probably going to play better at home. Uh, Grayson Allen, who you know was terrific in round one, we, we don't know where he's at right now. Is that is that going to be something they could count on to replace some of that Middleton offense that they've lost? We'll see. Uh, I would like to see a little bit more from Brook Lopez uh, offensively as well. Um, you know, he, he defensively great, but now he has to provide some offensive uh, firepower if, if Middleton's not going to be in the lineup because it can't be all on Giannis. Um, you know, to 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 be able to score so. I think the Bucks are going to play faster also uh, when they get home. Um, they, they they sort of were trapped in the half court in game two, uh, and that hurt them a little bit. But we'll see. You know, they, they, the, the Celtics jumped on them early, uh, and, and that game was, was over before it even really started. So the start to game three is going to be huge uh, because we know that Milwaukee crowd is going to be rocking, and we know that Boston is going to be expecting a Milwaukee punch. How do they respond to that? So I'm, I'm very much intrigued by that game three. Uh, coming up here this weekend. So um, that's the series right now in the second round. Uh, it's the very intriguing matchups uh, across the board, uh, but we're, we're going to have wa- fun watching them uh, as we go throughout here. All right, let's get to uh, two teams who we think have bright futures in the NBA, Scott. They were both eliminated last week. The New Orleans Pelicans were eliminated in six. So were, were the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, as, you, as it sits right now, in your opinion, who is the brighter future, the Pelicans or the Timberwolves? To me, I, I feel myself siding with the Pelicans. I, I they, they had a really weird season. They go off to a terrible start. They started to pick it up, and then they made that trade deadline move for CJ. 
I, I thought he was a big pickup for them. Another guy who can create his own shot, isn't afraid of the moment. Um, he, he had some big games for them in the, in the, in the play and in, in the playoffs. Brandon Ingram, he's a one-time All-Star, but I think he's improved a ton over the last two years. Looks much more comfortable um, picking and choosing his spots. He's improved as a passer. I also just really like the the draft picks that they they had over the last year. Um, Herb Jones is like an old defensive type of talent. Um, offensively, he's proven this year that he can do enough, I think, to kind of stay on the court, and I, he should only improve in that regard. So he has a, a really bright future as like a 3 and D wing, who, which you know, every team in the league wants someone like that. And Jose Alvarado, I mean, he... he he kind of stole the show um, in the playoffs with the things that he does, trying to pick off, um, you know, pick up steals by hanging out in the corner on inbounds possessions, um, pestering Chris Paul up and down the court. Um, and, I mean, bearing the lead here, but Zion Williamson, we have to see what he what he looks like coming off of this injury. Um, it is worrying. A guy who is six foot seven um, is as big as he is having foot injuries. But, I mean, we saw what he was capable of last season utterly dominant in the paint no one can stop him he's an excellent passer a real point forward um, and just a real big mismatch in today's nba so i think you know there is some stuff that they got to figure out and like cj brandon ingram and zion need the ball in their hands um to really thrive so figuring out how they can best complement each other but i i do like their core i i think i like their depth a little bit more than the timberwolves as well i mean cats are awesome um i do have some questions about him as i'm sure a lot of people do defensively um, I, I'm as high as anyone on Anthony Edwards's potential and what he could be. Um, but I do think, you know, there's a big question mark with what they do with D'Angelo Russell moving forward and kind of their role players. I, I feel like I'm not quite as sold on as I am with the Pelicans. I, I'm going the other way, Scott. I really mm -hmm. think that the future is brighter in Minnesota. And the reason why is there's too many question marks for me in, in New Orleans. As, 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 as you just brought them up, I'm thinking about all right, we have, you know, CJ McCollum came over. That was a big trade, but how much how much does he have left in the tank? Uh, is Brandon Ingram going to be the same player when Zion Williamson comes back into the lineup and he has to share a little bit of that scoring load? Uh, is Zion even going to come back? That's the, the, the biggest question mark uh, for me. How are they going to be able to function defensively when their three best players uh, don't play like a defense? <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of question marks for me uh, and this team. Um, and I have less question marks with the Timberwolves, so I'm, I'm going with the Timberwolves here. I believe in Cat. I believe in Anthony Edwards. D'Angelo Russell could be a trade piece down the line, and I, I do think that they have a toughness uh, with Patrick Beverly that they didn't have previously, and Chris Finch seems like an intelligent coach that could get them in the right positions to be successful. No, that's fair. Um, I, I will add, by the way, the Pelicans do have a lottery pick in this draft, courtesy of the Lakers. So that's, that's another big thing for them, adding another, another young talent. Mark, it's another question mark for me because, yeah. you know, you, you overthink that pick and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it becomes another piece of the puzzle. You, you can have too many great players, right? Or, or maybe not too many, too many great yeah. prospects, not too many great players, too many great prospects where they don't develop uh, and you never get to see their true potential. And adding... Say they end up with Paulo Bancaro. I think everyone will go crazy for that, and it will look great on paper. But you know, how how do they develop together? It would be my question, um, and I, I may be one of the few asking it. But I, I would rather roll with what I know than the unknowns uh, in the Pelicans here. All right, uh, any surprise awards for you this far? Uh, I know LeBron James is not happy with you and many others to pick <laughs> John Morant to win MIP, calling you guys dweebs. Um, but our, our, you know, so far we've had some awards announced. We still don't know who the MVP is officially. 
Still don't know who the coach of the year is officially. All NBA teams still and defensive teams still haven't come out. But uh, where do you sit on on the awards so far? And what would shock you, um, you know, going down the line? I, I'm not surprised for the most part about what we know um, in terms of the awards. I, I think the probably the toughest award this season was Defensive Player of the Year. But I think it was pretty clear as of three or four weeks ago that Marcus Smart was gaining momentum and would probably win the award. Um, but there were just so many good candidates this season for that. Um, you can make a case for for Rudy Gobert, Mikel Bridges. There's a bunch of other guys too. Giannis, Robert Williams. That that was a tough, um, tough group. I, I think the one I'm most surprised by is Scotty Barnes getting it over Evan Mobley. And I actually think that Scotty Barnes did deserve Rookie of the Year. But I, I just I, I thought there would be more people voting of the award voters. I, I thought more of them would probably go with Mobley um, than Barnes. Uh, that that was another one. That that was one honestly that I, I probably wouldn't have been upset if they were co-rookie of the years, which we haven't seen in what. 15, 20 years or something like that. Um, was it Jason Kidd and Grant Hill the last ones Jason to do it? Jason Kidd and Grant Hill were the last to do it, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I almost wouldn't have been mad if that was the outcome. But um, I, I do think that was kind of like the only one I was surprised by. Um, and I, I mean, for the final two, I, I think Monty Williams is probably going to get it. We've talked about this before. I do think he deserves it. I don't think you had him as your coach of the year, right? I did not. I, I believe I had Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, I think that was – I think I remember us discussing that. And then – um, I, I would be shocked if if Nikola Jokic doesn't get MVP. I think he deserves it, and based on everything that we've seen, it does seem like he, he is going to get it. Um, again, nothing to take away from Joel Embiid and Giannis, who had both had spectacular seasons. But but what Jokic did in lifting that Nuggets team, the impact that he had. I mean, he he had one of the best offensive uh, seasons we've seen of all time. Uh, really, when you look at the efficiency, the volume, what is passing, everything like that. So. Back-to-back MVPs for Jokic. I think that's a pretty safe assumption at this point. Yeah, I, I don't think I'll be – I haven't been surprised by any of the awards that have been handed out, and I don't think I'll be surprised. I think I'm right on par with you. I, I think we kind of know uh, who uh, is going to win the remaining awards. Um, what I'm intrigued by, though, is finding out where LeBron James lands on All-NBA because I've mm. had some discussions with other people that uh, – so, there's no question he's not a first-teamer, right? There, no, no one in their right mind – is having LeBron James on their first team All NBA ballot? But well, you got mad at me. You got mad at me when I floated the idea of him potentially being All NBA first team when we discussed this about a month yeah. ago. But but yeah, I, I, I think that's. I think you're right. I, I say that, and there might be people out there that disagree with me and think that he had an All NBA first team season. I I I you know I violently disagree with that take. But maybe I had him on third team. Um, maybe there's some people out there that thought he was second team and you have to listen to that discussion. Um, and I, and I wonder because to me where he lands is going to lead us to who got snubbed. Uh, because if he's on the third team, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, there's going to be less discussion about who got snubbed, but if he's on second team, um, there might be a, a lot of discussion about who got snubbed uh, in the All NBA conversation. It's going to be at that forward spot. I think that's where the discussion lands uh, in terms of snubs this year. I'm with you. I, I think it's probably likely that he ends up on the third team. To be honest, um, I mean we, we can go through it if we want to. But Giannis is making first team. We know that he's going to be one of the forwards. Um, Jason Tatum, I think, is the interesting one in terms of does he make first team or second team. But I, I would think he's going to make one of them. Uh, Kevin Durant absolutely deserves to be on All NBA this season, despite the fact that he, you know, didn't play a ton of games. And after that, it's really like LeBron, DeMar DeRozan. Um, I mean, it could be Jokic or Embiid, but I, I would imagine that the voters had them at center just to kind of one keep it realistic. I mean, this is the way they do it, but also to avoid one of them 
missing out um, by not getting enough votes. So I, it could, it's, it's probably going to be between like LeBron, DeMar DeRozan. I think Siakam is going to be in the conversation for third team. I don't think he's going to make second team. And then you have guys like Jimmy Butler, um, Jalen Brown, and things like that. So I, I, think, I think LeBron has a chance of making second team, but probably will be third team. He should be thirteen. There's no question. He should be thirteen. If he's, what are you saying? Are you, do you have Demar Derozan ahead of him for that that other second team spot? Because I think it's pretty safe to say, right? It's going to be Tatum, Giannis, KD. For me, those are three of the top four for first team, second team. I did have Demar Derozan. I think when we did this uh, a month ago, uh, and I'm sticking with that. I, I just, you know, a lot of people are. Or if that comes out to be true, uh, with Demar making second team over, you know, um, you know, name NBA player here, J- Jimmy Butler, for example. I think a lot of people will hold his playoff performance against him. Then he wasn't bad in the playoffs. He just went against a, good, a, a really good team. Uh, but he was incredible. Like he was incredible this season. Um, yeah. And you know, a, a lot of his his great exploits this season kind of gets forgotten because they happened early in the year. But the Bulls were rolling. Uh, the Bulls had one of the best rec- records in the NBA around the All Star break, right? And then injuries kind of brought them back down to earth. They stay healthy. We're, we're talking about a different team here, and a team that could be in the second round because they they end up playing, um, you know, one of the playing teams, uh, you know, maybe the Hawks uh, in the first round versus playing the Bucks in the first round, uh, and they also have home court advantage in the first round versus going on the road. We we could be, and even even if they were uh, playing the Bucks in the first round. Um, if they were healthy, you know, that could have been a better series than it, than it ended up being. Um, so, you know, injuries really, did, you know, dismantled the the Bulls' chances this season. Uh, but I, I don't think I'm going to take that away from DeMar DeRozan, uh, the way that they played all year long. So um, he's my second team, all NBA forward there. And I, I, do, I don't think I could put LeBron James over him. And, and I, I don't think anyone should. I absolutely don't think anyone should. I, yeah, I had LeBron at second team when we discussed it last time. And the more that I thought about it, like I was leaning more towards DeMar DeRozan for that second spot. Um, I mean, to your point, he had an incredible year. He finished one point behind, well, two points behind Joel Embiid um, as the league's leading scorer in the clutch. Like he was just so good when the game was on the line throughout the entire season. We saw him hit those back-to-back game-winning threes. Um, he, he really did kind of carry the Bulls when they were going through so many injuries. And the thing is for them, that's unfortunate. I mean, we, we all, I think we all knew going into the season that the Bulls would struggle defensively. Um, they had moments where they looked really good with Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, both of whom are, are really good kind of point of attack defenders, um, can guard multiple positions. But they missed, I mean, both of them missed huge chunks of the season. So you take away them, I mean, it, it's not a surprise that they did struggle defensively. And to your point, I mean, they, they, they just didn't have the firepower to go up against the Bucks in the first round. But you can't hold that against him. Um, he, he did have a wonderful season. It was also just a great story. You know, a guy who, he's, he's a multi-time All-Star, but he didn't make it for, what, three, was it three or four straight years when he was in San Antonio? Um, a lot of people, I don't think, were paying attention to him, but he really improved in San Antonio as a passer. Um, and then to go to Chicago at this stage of his career, at this age, to kind of have a career year, um, it, it it was one of the great stories of the season. No question, no question. All NBA type of uh, story. All right, Scott. Uh, we got a couple of game threes uh, this weekend. Uh, can't wait to see those. We'll be back in our regular time slot next week on Tuesday at one p.m. Eastern time, ten a.m. Pacific time to break them all down. And uh, like I predicted in the middle of this pod, I, I do think that we're going back to Memphis three one. I hope I, I have a lot of friends uh, now that I've met. 
uh, in Memphis uh, at various All-Star games. I hope they're not upset with me um, <laughs> by, by giving that take. But I do think that the Warriors have the Grizzlies right where they want them. Um, love to be proven wrong as a fan because I would like to get a Game 7 in one of these series. And I don't think any of these second-round series are going to provide that for us. But we shall see. Uh, if you missed any part of this show, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just type in NBA Sound System and uh, do us a favor. Like us, review helps us out a ton to get to new listeners. If you're enjoying the show, we would like other people to do the same. For my main man, Scott Rafferty, I am Carlin Gay. We will see you next week, folks. Enjoy the games.